morning, everyone. It's your favorite chief medical resident, Megan Snuckle. And today I also have my co-chief, Lucy Henry, to conduct our interview. Lucy is our future cardiologist, mother of a beautiful baby girl, and one of the strongest women I know. Hey, Lucy. Hi, everyone. Today we're going to do our next special collaboration with the Women in Medicine group here at University of Connecticut. Um, as before, I will have an overall theme for each discussion, but we'll allow the interview to be organic and we'll see how it ends up. So our, our theme today is being a woman in a subspecialty field, and we have an absolute wonderful guest, and I'm so excited to announce Dr. Heather Swales. Dr. Swales is a cardiologist with the Hartford Healthcare Medical Group. She is the Director of Women's Heart Wellness Center at the Hospital of Central Connecticut and the Associate Fellowship Director here at Hartford Hospital. She's a mother of three adorable children, and it is my absolute pleasure to introduce her. Hi, Dr. Swales, how are you? Hi, good, thanks for having me. Uh, th yes, thanks again for coming. I, we, we really appreciate your time and to pick your brain a bit. Um, so today we're gonna talk about being a subspecialist as a woman and you know what challenges you faced um, and uh, any kind of roadblocks and you know any pearls that you have um, for our listeners. So Lucy, you wanna take it off? Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Swales, thank you again for being here today. We're so excited to interview you. Um, so just jumping in quickly. So first, can you give us a little background on your journey in medicine and how you came to the position you are in currently? So I, um, I did my undergraduate up in Maine at Colby College. Um, and when I was there, I struggled a little bit trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life debating between medicine or science um, and thinking about getting a possibly getting a PhD. So I took a few years off after college and did some basic science research quickly realizing that I like people more than test tubes and cells and um, and then decided to apply to medical school. Um, and I got into the University of Massachusetts and then did all my training there subsequently. So I did my internal medicine residency and then cardiology fellowship. Um, and so was up in Worcester, Mass for about 10 years where I met my husband um, when we were medical students. And uh, when we both finished our training, we were looking for jobs in not necessarily the same institution, but we wanted to work in the same general location, thinking eventually we might have a family and uh, trying to balance the commuting and the work schedule. And so thinking living and working closer um, to each other would be helpful. So that brought us to Connecticut um, at Hartford Hospital, um, where I have been since for the last 11 years. And my job has changed a little bit since I've been here. Um, maybe five years after I got here, I was offered the Associate Program Director uh, position, um, which I share with Lane Duvall. Um, and that's been a really nice addition to my career. Um, but I still have uh, a role in the echo and in my own outpatient practice down in New Britain, which is one of the sister campuses to uh, Hartford Hospital at New Britain General Hospital. Thank you for that. I feel like I know some of that um, background history because I got to work with you, but I'm sure our, our listeners were interested to hear kind of your, your story and how you ended up where you are. Um, so how did you get interested in the cardiology? Was there any specific moment that you can reflect on that was kind of like the turning point for you? Um, you know, that's kind of interesting. Um, my mother and father loved to tell me that when I was going through all this 
um, career deciding uh, process, I used to always say, I don't want to be a cardiologist um, because I feel like so many of the diseases in cardiology are preventable and people, um, you know, I don't want to be managing things that um, could, could be prevented in the first place. But as I went through medicine, I started to realize that so much of cardiology is preventable and that's one reason I love it because you can help educate and coach your patients and help them really make changes that can have dramatic impacts on the long-term outcomes of their disease processes. We also have incredible treatments in cardiology, some of the best um, with incredibly robust data. And I really like to have a solid understanding of why I'm doing something um, and why it's going to work. And I think cardiology is one of those fields that's really concrete in terms of the amount of data available. Um, and I also have, I love taking care of patients and I love the long-term nature of um, practicing medicine. And I think in cardiology, people are living longer. And so you can really develop a long relationship with them and even some kind of like a family medicine practice. I have grandparents and their children and their grandchildren now as some of my patients with three generations managing different aspects of cardiovascular disease. And wow, that's that, so to beautiful. Me, is really fun. I love that. It's really fun. Yeah. I love it. I can attest to that, actually. So Dr. Swales know, knows her patients just if you say their first name. I remember rotating with her and we'd bring up someone's first name. She'd like, oh, I, I see their grandma, too, and their sister and their mom. And <laughs> it's it's wonderful. Oh, wow. That's great. So kind of peeing, uh, piggybacking off that question, did you feel like you faced any roadblocks in particular because you were uh, a female trying to pursue cardiology? To be honest, I don't think I've had any major roadblocks. I feel like I've had incredible support. I've been very fortunate and being a woman maybe almost as an asset um, because there are not as many women in cardiology. Um, it's one of the subspecialties of internal medicine that still is lacking in women, although definitely growing. And so when I started to express my interest, I felt like I had tremendous support both from female cardiologists, but also from male, um, really encouraging me and supporting me along the way. Um, I do think because it's still predominantly a male dominated field and was maybe more so when I was doing my training, you have to roll with the punches. There is a little bit of locker room talk and old school boys network um, that I had to tolerate or put up with, but I didn't find it to be an obstacle or a roadblock for me. Fortunately, I feel that's very fortunate. That's wonderful. Yeah, that um, is so great. Do you feel like your career goals or journey changed at all? You mentioned a little bit about, you know, meeting your husband and then, um, you know, having children in uh, residency and then obviously being a mom now, being an APD, do you feel like your goals or your journey that you had to take uh, changed at all because of that? Uh, definitely. Um, not so much meeting my husband, um, but having children. When, when my husband and I first met, we were thinking we wouldn't have kids. And then we said, oh, we'll have one kid. And now three kids later. <laughs> That's crazy how that works. When you have one, you're like, I'm never doing this again. And then somehow you have another and you're like, why, why am I so crazy? 
Yeah, when we had our first kid, we would walk around town and we'd see people with more than one kid and we would look at them and be like, obviously, they're all mistakes. Like, <laughs> do this intentionally. That's uh-huh. so funny. Yeah, yeah. But our <laughs> second and third child were planned and welcomed. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> on the record, on the record. <laughs> on the record, they were not mistakes. Um, but that has definitely shifted my priorities. And so, my, you know, I thought I had wanted to do a lot more. Um, I was always interested in kind of a, a, a clinical research. Um, and that research for me has really taken a back burner because I, I don't have enough to dedicate a time. And the time that I do have is personal time. And I really want to spend it with my family. Um, and so that, that's definitely impacted kind of the direction I've gone, um, having children and how I balance things. I'm, I'm much more quick to think before I say yes. Um, and I am, I've definitely learned how to say no when I'm asked to do things, um, which is a skill set probably all of us develop as we age and mature. But I think after having children, that really forced me to recognize what my limitations were and, um, and uh, how to manage and budget the time that I do have, so that I am still able to do the things that are important to me. Yeah, no, that is so important. And let me repeat for the audience, it is okay to say no, sometimes I know I have this problem too. And I I guess, although I'm a mother of two, I haven't developed the maturity yet because somehow I continue to say yes. But, you know, it's it's something that um, it needs to be said and normalized that it's okay not to say yes to everything. So thank you so much for saying that. Um, and I think it's important, you know, even a few weeks ago, I got a call um, from uh, one of my chiefs and asking me to take on some extra call responsibilities and I was kind of caught off guard and I quickly looked at my calendar and I said well you know I definitely don't have anything going on that weekend mm-hmm. I guess I could take this extra call and I hung up the phone and I I was really upset because that was a weekend that I'm not going to get to spend with my kids yeah, and it's yeah. an extra call that some of my other colleagues have not been asked to do and I you know, sat on it for a few days, but then I emailed him and I said, you know, I really thought about this. I'm on, I have these, I don't know if you looked forward in the schedule, but I'm also on call two weekends in January. Mm-hmm. And so this is an additional weekend that I'm going to be doing and sacrificing for my children. And if, if no one else really is available, I will do it. But can you make sure you've asked everyone because I don't think this is equitable. And he quickly, um, rectified the situation and adjusted the call schedule for me. And so I think sometimes you can say yes and then realize you were, you know, overcommitted and mm-hmm. you can always um, go back and um, you can't abandon people, but if, you know, ask if there's an alternative solution to the problem if you've overcommitted. And I think most of the time they really are understanding of that. Saying that saying no is an acquired skill. And I feel like we're all working towards it. I personally have not mastered it yet. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely something that I hope to um, obtain soon because I need to, to learn how to say no. Dr. Swales, what advice do you have for a young woman that's wanting to pursue a subspecialty, uh, cardiology, you know, endocrinology, any, basically anything, um, kind of going down that fellowship route? 
I think it's um, really important that you understand um, what's involved in the subspecialty, both the bread and butter, as well as the kind of really fun esoteric things. And so you want to make sure you rotate at least once um, in, in, you know, do an elective rotation in an inpatient and outpatient setting because they could be very different in terms of the disease processes and that, the kinds of stuff you do on a day-to-day basis. And then you really want to talk with several different attendings um, in that specialty to really get an understanding of what their career is like and what the options are. Um, because I think it's it's your experience as a trainee can be very different from what your experience will be as an attending. And so hearing different perspectives um, can be very useful when you're trying to figure out which field you want to go into. And then once you figure it out, once you know what subspecialty you want, get advice, talk to, you know, fellows, talk to attendings in that specialty to see what you need to do to line yourself up to be the best applicant possible so that when you are applying, um, you you know, the odds are in your favor to help you match in a location or uh, an institution that you really want to be at. Yeah, no, that's so important because I think that um, often um, my female colleagues will not pursue a fellowship because they're um, worried about the like time constraints as being a fellow, but to, to remember that that's not like the rest of your life. That's just for two, three, four years, depending on what you w- want to do, um, and to really speak to the the attendings and what their lifestyle is and, and what their like expectations of being an outpatient cardiologist or inpatient or whatever subspecialty, subspecialty cardiologist you decide to go for. But um, yeah, so I think that's really important. And I think as a woman, obviously, maybe it's not obvious, but um, different life's responsibilities fall differently on women than they do on men. And not the least of which is if you decide to have babies and you're going to carry a pregnancy, you know, that's a big deal. Um, nine months, nine and a half months, as you guys know, um, with um, its own stressors mm-hmm. on it emotionally and physically. And depending on what subspecialty you're doing, like if you're doing cardiology, for example, there's a lot of radiation exposure. And so what does that mean if you're pregnant or trying to get pregnant? But I have had so many fellows and residents come to me who I don't even know. They just like Google my name or hear from the chief fellows or or chief residents that I'm a female cardiologist that has a family. And they shoot me an email or send me a tiger text and say, I'm wondering if I can get 15 or 20 minutes of your time. I'm interested in applying to a cardiology fellowship. I, I wanted to find out like what your experience has been. And I think most women are willing to share that, you know, that, yeah. that we want to help encourage other women to go into the field. We don't want to mislead you. So when people apply, we want them to be genuinely making the right decision and we want to advise you. And so the earlier you do that, even if you're an intern and you're still deciding between three different areas, um, send out a couple messages to faculty um, and, and just pick their brain. Yeah. I, I've sat down with so many interns, even med students who are trying to figure out surgical field or medical field or um, cardiology or nephrology or, you know, and I'm happy to do that. I don't know most of these people. I just spent 15 minutes with them and kind of share some ideas. And if you, if they do that with several different people, it will help them kind of put together a plan. 
that's going to work best for them. Yeah, no, that's really great advice. Hopefully those that are listening will will remember that and to to know that we're all we're, we're all on the same team and um the goal is to uh, you know, raise each other up. So that's that's beautiful. Um so I kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit <clears throat> and speak about burnout. Um I know with um a lot of the subspecialty fields, but really any field in medicine, um, it's not necessarily with only regard to being a cardiologist, but just being a female physician and the, the constraints that there are on your, um, you know, personal life and, and you know, balancing it all and, and, and how you're doing that. You know, I know Dr. Andrews um, in our last uh, podcast spoke about how um, some statistics out there are showing that 17% of women do, or excuse me, with regard to household chores, women tend to do 17% more of the, uh, you know, at-home responsibilities than their male counterpart for whatever reason it may be. Um, so, you know, got a lot going on at home, got a lot of, a lot going on at, at work and, you know, but, you know, balancing all of that, um, you know, how do you, how do you help with that burnout and, and, you know, managing it all? That is a great question, and I think it's a, um, there's never, the, like, one right answer, and what I say today would probably be totally different than what I'd say to you in another six months or a year. Yeah. The situation is always changing, especially if you have children, because their needs are always changing as they're growing and developing. Mm-hmm. Um, some things that have worked for me, um, A, learning how to say no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> both to my kids and my husband and at work. Um, And so the kids, you know, I can't always read you a story every single night or I can't always read you for 20 minutes every night. Maybe tonight is just a three or five minute story. And so setting limits there and letting them know that I am available to them and I I am there and they're still my top priority, but we, we all have to adapt a little bit. And so some days I have more time to read and some days I have less time to read. Um, a couple of things that I've done for myself and I figured this out over time is that for me, sleep is really important and that's a very high priority for me. Mm. So I really try to go to bed at an early hour and I, um, I find I'm a better mom, a better doctor, a better wife when I am getting consistently good sleep. I don't always have control over it, but when I do have the ability to control it, I really make it a high priority. Um, And so, you know, laundry doesn't get folded or Christmas cards might get mailed in January. Um, (laughs) But At the rate I'm going, they're probably going to go in January too. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. Um, And then me time. And that's new for me to have me time. But for me, what has worked is I wake up every morning with very few exceptions at 5 a.m. and I exercise. I walk oh, outside or I or I walk on the treadmill and it, you know, might be some days it might only be 20 minutes, but most days I try to do 30 or 40 minutes and it really centers me and grounds me and um it's, it, I'm not good at real meditation, but for me, it's a little bit like meditation because yes. I, I kind of think about my day and I solve a lot of my problems while I'm walking as I think through them. Yeah. Um, I make lists in my head of what I need to do. Yeah. Um, 
but I come home and I'm refreshed and I'm energized. And that's something that I've been doing for the last two or three years. And it's really helped me um, to, I think, to recenter and yeah. Um, yeah. How did you get to that point? Because like, I mean, it sounds so um, perfect. And I'm like, okay, sign me up. I'll do it tomorrow. But like, how do you get to that? Because right now I'm like not wanting to get up a minute earlier with that going yeah, back to the... So I my kids are sleeping through the night most of the time by the time I did started doing that. Um, I think that's really key. So my kids were a little bit older by the time I started that. Um, and my husband was saying like, you're, you're getting crazy. Like you are mm -hmm. high anxiety, you're stressed out and you need, you, you need an outlet. Yeah. And yeah. So I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to this. I think I said, I'm going to do it for 30 days. I'm going to do this for 30 days. And two weeks in, I was feeling better. And he was like, you're really like a nicer person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the anxiety creeps up. You know, yeah. you, you think that you're doing okay. And then all of a sudden, you, there's like crazy anxiety monsters on your back. And 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 so, you know, the fact that you were able to knock that, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I, I, when I don't do it, I you know, I skip a day here and there, but I, I feel like it really affects me. And so yeah. now I'm really motivated because I've seen the benefits mm -hmm. of it. I, I know, you know, I'm aware that I really function better when I get this time to myself. And for me, I incorporate it with exercising, but you could, you could, you know, drink tea and read the New York times or whatever, whatever works for you, but yeah. it's, my kids are not awake. No one is calling my name or asking me for anything. Yeah. And so it's just my time and it's worth, sometimes I hit snooze once or twice on the alarm and that yeah. day I might only exercise for 20 minutes, but, um, it, I really find that it, since I've been doing it consistently, it really helps me, um, balance things well. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it's something I probably should do too. For those who are listening, yeah. It sounds like I'm setting my alarm for five o'clock tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> 30 days. We could do it, Lucy. Um, yeah, I mean, I know I, I get up maybe five minutes before my 10-month gets up, 10-month-old gets up, and from there on, I'm running around with my head cut off trying to get everything done, and right. that that compounds the anxiety. So if I just gave me gave myself the time um, to prepare for the start of the day, I think that I would, you know, do better as and most women even, would. I think even, um, even if you, I don't know if you guys are coffee drinkers or tea drinkers, but I drink a lot of coffee. Um, yeah, me too. I used to get up at five twenty or five fifteen, and I would exercise. And when I walk in the door, like usually one kid was awake and it like I just would get slammed in the face with mom, 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 <laughs> And so now I actually get up at five. This was over the last year because now I walk in the door and I have my first cup of coffee before the kid wakes up. Yeah. And that 15 minutes of drinking my coffee in silence, I might empty the dishwasher, you know, I might be packing the lunch for school, but but no one is calling my name. Yeah. <laughs> And I love that that 15 minutes of drinking my coffee before one of my children is awake. Yeah. Um, so, and so I actually moved up the time because that was how I got the coffee instead of walking in the door, walking upstairs from the basement and like the, the bombardment of mom, 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 mom. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that's overwhelming. So, I'm glad that you're you're making time for yourself and those that are listening, you know, I think the the take home point there is to definitely make me time and that will help with lots of things. Um so my my last question that I wanted to talk about, I know we're kind of running a little bit longer on this podcast, so I don't want to take too much more of your time, but um I wanted to know if you had any any comments about imposter syndrome. Um you know, I am a victim of it. I know a lot of my female colleagues are. Um, I imagine in a field so male-dominated, imposter syndrome is common. Um, so, you know, with that, can you speak on it and any advice to you that you have for our young listeners? Yeah, I think it's definitely real. I definitely suffer from it, sometimes more than others. Um, I, I think women I don't know if we honestly suffer from it more than men but I think we are more honest about it and Mm -hmm. we're more vocal about it um I think a lot of men um tend to be more assertive and direct in expressing their knowledge sharing their knowledge base with Mm -hmm. you and Mm -hmm. so women you may second get your second guess yourself and think well I'm not as um knowledgeable or I don't know what I'm doing one thing that was invaluable to me in my training, I think back on this on a regular basis, is when I was a third year fellow and trying to figure out my career and things like that, there was a new chief at, at, at UMass where I trained. Um, and he came in like a powerhouse, super confident, um, bordering on arrogant. Um, but he said, me down for some career advice and he said just want you to know do you think I came in here knowing what to do as a chief of cardiology for a major institution do you think I know all the answers and I was like yes yeah (laughs) you fooled me and he said no I I this is the first time I've been a chief I don't know what I'm doing and I have my own doubts and I um question myself constantly and I always wonder they made a mistake with me I'm the one that they made a mistake they didn't know what they were doing when they hired me and he was so candid and I was blown away that this man could ever have self-doubt or ever question himself because he was clearly a very strong strong leader and so I I think about him a lot because if he had that self-doubt you know, then I know that I am not the only one. He wasn't yeah. the only one. I am not the only one. And he reassured me that I had, I have the knowledge base. I have the work ethic. I have the communication skills. No one made a mistake when they hired me in yeah. my fellowship or in my first job. And yes, we may make mistakes, but we can recover because mm-hmm. we all do have a lot of talents and skills. Yeah. And you can always ask for help. And um, if you, I really believe if we, you work hard and you keep trying, you're going to make it. Like both of you are great examples of that. You guys are going into great fellowships and it's not because they made a mistake and the match screwed up. It's because you deserved it. You worked hard. You're bright. You're you know, excellent communication skills, excellent medical skills, and you deserve every bit of that success. And you're going to continue to succeed. Thank you. Um, and occasionally you'll self-doubt, but that's normal and it's okay. 
And actually, I think it's an asset because it gives you introspection and reflection and it makes you a better doctor and probably a better mom and a better wife. Yeah. Um, when you have that ability to say, am I really doing the best I can? Am I really doing the right thing? Yeah. Yeah. To know that you're not alone um, and to, to always self-reflect to, to be better. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll spin it and say imposter syndrome is a positive thing. I love it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Such a woman thing to do. I love it. I love it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm all for it. Um, well, I want to thank you so, so much. We truly appreciate your dedication to medicine, education, you know, the residents, the fellows, you know, you are a champion of women and I'm sure you've touched so many lives, both patients and the um, learners that you see every day. So thank you so, so much. Thank um, you for having me. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Dr. Swales. This was really nice. You know, when I spoke to Lucy about, you know, who we should ask to be a part of this, I mean, like Dr. Swales was out of her lips before I even finished the sentence. So, <laughs> so we really, really thank you. And hopefully those that are listening will carry this information forward with regard to subspecialty training, you know, being a mother, handling burnout, you know, flipping the imposter syndrome to a positive, all wonderful things. So again, thank you so much. So stay tuned for our next episode coming soon. Um, the next podcast is going to be discussing um, specifically family life and medicine. But if there's anything else specific that our listeners feel I should cover, please reach out to me or uh, Lucy, and we would love to cover it. So thanks again for joining us all, and we'll see you next time.